Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church Podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Mark, chapter number one. I'm going to read two verses to you, and then I'm going to teach for a minute, and we will let you go. Mark's gospel, chapter number one. And uh, we're going to start reading with verse number 16. Mark's gospel, chapter number one. When you get there, say amen. If you're not there yet, say hold up. You're there. Praise God. Mark's gospel. Now, y'all going to have to be, y'all, I ain't going to talk to a dead group of people. I already know all this, all right? So I'm not going to talk to any. Mark's gospel, chapter number one, verse number 16, records these words. Now, as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said to them, come after me, and I will make, watch this, I will make you to become fishers of men. Come after me, another, another uh, synoptic gospel says, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. I will make you, I will make you to become fishers of men. That's all we're going to read. Now, I'm going to, this is probably going to be a little different than maybe you're used to. Because I am purposefully going to talk to everybody in this place as though you're a leader, all right? And I'm going to talk about tests that every leader has to pass. Y'all with me? I said, you with me? Tests every leader has to pass. Now, I've got 21 of them, but we're not going to talk about all those today. So relax. They've got me on a timer, and they don't play around. The reason I'm going to talk to everybody like they're a leader is because if leadership is defined as influence, and it is, everybody in here is influencing somebody. Everybody in here, you are following somebody, whether you know it or not, and you are leading somebody. You might might be just leading your goldfish at home, but you're influencing somebody. All right. I had a great man of God tell me one time, he said, when you get saved, you enroll in the university of God and you never graduate. When you get saved, you enroll in the university of God and you never graduate. And every experience that you have and every person you encounter, if you see it right, is a lesson. Oh, the book of lessons I could write just over the last six months of being in Cedar Bluff Middle School. Every season and experience is a lesson. Every person you encounter is a lesson. That crazy uncle that you have to tolerate at Thanksgiving, they are a lesson. A lot of times the lessons you learn from people is what not to do and how not to act, but it's still a lesson nonetheless. Have you ever noticed that in life you have to learn a lot of what not to do before you learn what to do? Most of you, if I sat down with you, you would say, I would have a, I've had a lot of bosses that I didn't want to be like. 
and only a handful, maybe one or two, that I did want to be like. Because when you get saved, you enroll in the university of God and you never graduate. That everything you go through is, is, a, is, is a lesson. School, since you've been saved, is in session. And you can serve God for 40 years and you're still learning. You are still growing. You are still having to pass tests and go through things where God is proving who you are. Hallelujah. I'll amen myself. Hallelujah. Preach it, white man. Now, leadership inside the kingdom and leadership in the world is very, very different. When we think of leadership in the world, we think to be the leader, you got to be at the top of the org chart. Being the leader means you have the title. Being the leader means you get the big paycheck. Being the leader means you get to tell everybody what to do in the world. That's their definition. Or in the kingdom of this world. If you remember us talking about two kingdoms. In the kingdom of this world, the definition of leadership is you sit at the top. In the kingdom of God, being in leadership means you sit at the bottom. For he that is going to be the greatest among you, let him be the servant of all. Amen? I can tell it's going to be that kind of day. I'm going to have to work it. All right, let me get in another gear. I'm going to have to work it. I'm going to have to work it. In the kingdom of this world, leadership comes by seniority. The longer you're in a place, the more leadership you think you deserve. In the church, it doesn't work that way, and people still don't get that. People, it doesn't work. Leadership in the kingdom of God doesn't work by seniority. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught us a parable that teaches that very concept. He said there's going to be one guy that goes to work at 6 a.m., and he's going to get paid one amount, and there's going to be a guy that goes to work at 5 p.m., and he's going to get paid the same amount as the guy that went to work at 6, 6 a.m. What is he trying to say? There's no seniority in the kingdom of God. He's trying to say you don't get put in leadership because you've been there the longest. You get put in leadership because there's an authority on you, and I've divinely anointed you to lead and that's what we've told people for years they say well bless God you I, I deserve it I deserve that position because I've been faithful we need to redefine faithfulness faithfulness does not mean doing nothing for a long period of time <laughs> faithfulness doesn't mean I went to church there for 20 years never lifted a finger and I've been faithful that's not what faithfulness means I've seen people be more faithful in 6 months in this church than I've seen in 25 years in other churches it doesn't come by senior it doesn't come by who showed up first it comes by who has won an authority with God because of their service and their work and their laid down life in the kingdom of this world, you get into leadership by voting. We don't vote in this church, okay? In the kingdom of God, you get into leadership simply because God's anointed you. See, in the church, we have to, we have to, we have to learn to differentiate the difference. We have to learn to tell the difference between gifts and rewards, okay? Salvation is a gift. Authority is a reward, the blood of Jesus is a gift. 
but having an anointing on your life that can break the chains off of somebody else comes as a result of being rewarded because of a sacrifice that you made. You Being able to sing is a gift. Being able to shake a room with the power of God is a reward. Being able to stand up and preach is a gift. But being able to speak to somebody that breaks chains off of their life, that is a reward. There is a difference between gifts and rewards. And we think all of the stuff that we need to pay for really should just be given to us. go too deep down the road, and, and, and I know, I'm, I'm not very familiar with Knoxville still yet, and so when you get in a room like this, you have a bunch of different people with a bunch of different backgrounds and come from a buff, bunch of different levels of understanding, so even when I say things like, the anointing, you know, don't even hear that in church anymore, the anointing, all you hear in church today is, you are wonderful, <laughs> you are God's favorite, and I do believe you, I believe everybody in here is wonderful, I believe everybody in here is God's favorite, all right, I believe that's a gift, <laughs> But I believe if you want to have something on your life that affects change for somebody else, it comes as the result of an award, reward. And that reward comes because you passed a test. See, it's so funny. In the kingdom of the world, you go through a class and then you take a test to prove that you learned everything you were supposed to learn in the class. But in the kingdom of God, the test and the class are the same thing. Right? God puts you in situations to reveal to you yourself. You ever had those things pop up on the inside of you? You're like, man, I didn't know I was that hateful. Huh? Oh, I didn't know I was that jealous of her. Oh, I didn't know I had that problem. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know they could tick me up. I didn't know they could. I didn't know that they could get to me so bad that I wanted to go up. I have dreams. I have visions. I fantasize about my fingers wrapping around their throat. And <laughs> right, yeah, real talk. Hashtag real talk. Act, put your Sunday face on, it's fine, but I know what I'm talking about. If you wanted the, if you wanted the, 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 the sweet stuff, come back next week. Okay. In order for God to ever use you greatly, he has to challenge you deeply. In order for God to use you greatly, this is really going to mess with you. He's got to wound you deeply. Am I right about it? Jesus, though he were a son, your Bible says he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. I grew up in a faith movement where they taught you if you're suffering, it's because you're stupid. And they would say things like that. And I grew up when I was 16, that sounded good. But then life taught me otherwise. That if you're suffering, it's just because you're in the classroom. And God's teaching you some things. And God's trying to get some stuff out of you. And God's trying to build some stuff in you. And you can go to the next test as soon as you pass this one. That's how you know when God's given you a different test. When you pass this one, he'll give you a new one. So I wanted to, I, 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 we had a great conversation yesterday. I met with some of our, our leaders, and we started talking about some of, the, some of the test that God takes everybody through, that if you don't know how to navigate it, it can crush you. 
I have incredible, I have dearly beloved friends of mine called into the ministry, called to do great things for God. Preach me under the rug that are not, that are barely even serving God today because they got crushed in the middle of a test. So can I tell you a few of them? A few of the tests? The first test God's going to take everybody through, I call it the time test. This is what that means. The time test is when God does not do what you thought God was going to do. When you thought God was going to do it. How you thought God was going to do it. Anybody in here ever been through the time test? It's, it's, it's Mary and Martha waiting on Jesus to come show up and heal Lazarus. And Jesus is only two miles away. And Lazarus dies. And then at four days later, Jesus finally shows up after his bodies begin decomposing. And I love the story. you got to read the story. Martha walks out of the house with an attitude. Boom, kicking the door. Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would still be alive. And he said, don't worry, your brother's going to live again. She said, I know he's going to live again at the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I just had to take you through the time test. And then finally, after they start arguing and talking about, we don't understand. If you'd have been here, our brother would have. If you would have done what we thought you were going to do, when we wanted you to do it, we wouldn't be going through this pain. And we wouldn't be grieving. And our whole family wouldn't be falling out because Lazarus, whom you said that you love, has died. And you know what Jesus says? He says, take me where you laid him. This is what he means. Take me to the spot where you gave up. Take me to the spot where you gave up and let me work something on the inside of you that's going to blow your mind. The reason he takes you through the time test is because he's trying to establish real faith and real patience down on the inside of you. The reason God does not do things on our calendar is because he's going to wrestle you to the ground and get a yes out of you. God knows how to get you exactly where he wants you. And the reason God does not do what we want him to do when we want him to do it is because God's going to make sure that you understand he is God and we are not. You know, there's, an old, there's an old song, I think it's old. There's an old song that we sing in church all the time. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a battle. How does it go? He, he's never lost a battle. Yeah. <laughs> right. A, good, a dear friend that Catherine wrote that, right? A dear friend of ours wrote that, and he's never lost a battle. And we always shout that, and we always weep, and we always cry. Oh, he's never lost a battle. He's never lost a battle. He's going to come through. He's never lost a battle. That's right. He's never lost a battle. And we love to sing that when we talk about God fighting for us. He's never lost a battle. But what about when God's fighting us? He's the undefeated world heavyweight champion of the world. He's never lost a battle. And Jacob, he's going to wrestle you to the ground and get out of you everything that he wants to get out of you. He's going to get a real faith out of you that says you are God and I am not. And if it don't happen when I want it to happen, how I want it to happen, you are still God and I am still not. It's, it's Abraham not having enough faith and not having enough patience to believe that if God said, I'm going to have a son that's going to be the heir of the entire world, then now I've just got to wait. There's nothing more frustrating than just having to wait on God. 
There are some situations in your life that you cannot control. And, and I know we all like to think of ourselves as non-controlling individuals. We are all control freaks. Right? And God has to break our grip off of that stuff by making us wait when there's situations going on in your life that you have no control over. And it's like walking around in the ICU ward just waiting for the doctor to respond. All you get to do is pace and wait. So God breaks your grip off of control. So God breaks your grip off of your own life. And you say, not my will, but your will be done. Taking you through the, it's Abraham. You don't have enough faith to wait and believe that God's going to bring the promise through in the way he said he was going to bring it through. So you jump the gun, Abraham, and now you go sleep with Hagar, and now you birth an Ishmael. And then once Isaac shows up on the scene, what you birth out of your flesh and what you birth out of the promise of God, they're going to spend the rest of their life fighting each other because you couldn't wait. How many Ishmaels have we birthed in our life? Because we couldn't. I know some people that got married. His name's John, but he should be called Ishmael. There's something funny that happens to single people. When they hit about 28, this switch goes off in their mind, and they're like, I'm getting married. This year. God said, God been saying that to you since you were 22. God said, this year. He looks, he's cute. He's an axe murderer, but you know what? I'm supposed to go win him to Jesus. Right? His name's Randy, but you should call him, sorry, Randy. His name, <laughs> but you should call him Ishmael because you can't wait. Can't wait on God. When God puts a ministry on the inside of you, you can't wait on it. That's what he told the sons of Aaron. He said, listen, Aaron, I'm going to anoint you, and your sons are going to be in the line after you. But before they get used in ministry, they're going to have to just stand there, and they're just going to have to wait. Some of you are just in the waiting game. You're just in the waiting process because God's trying to develop faith in you. God's trying to develop patience in you. And God knows if you can wait. See, there's a funny verse. There's a funny verse over in Habakkuk, and he says this. He says, the vision will come. Even though it tarries, it will come, and it will not tarry. What? He said, the vision, even though it tarries, that's a good King James word, right? We'll use linger or delay. The vision, even though it's delayed, it will come. It will not be delayed. Did you not just say that it was delayed? This is what he's saying. If you can wait on me to do it, when I open the door for it, it will happen so fast. It will happen so fast for you that it was as though you never waited on it. Even though it delays, if you will let me bring it to pass in your life, it won't delay and it'll show up. Oh, hallelujah. Because we love to believe. Listen, we love to believe that God redeems us from our sins. But let me tell you how awesome God is. He can also redeem the time that we spend waiting on things for him to do in our life. Your Bible says that Nineveh was four days away from where Jonah was. And Jonah made a four-day journey in one day. 
Because if you will let God do it, God can supernaturally cause you to make up time. Does anybody believe that God is a redeemer of the time? He can, I'm telling you, he can make up time. He can make up time. Are y'all with me? Y'all with me this morning? You believe he can redeem the time? You believe he's so big and so awesome, not only can he redeem you, he can redeem the time you wasted? Huh? I see people all the time, they get saved when they're 60. And they're full of regret because they didn't get saved at 14. I say, it's all right, honey, if you'll jump in now, you can start serving God at 60 and be so on fire. It would be as though you started serving God at 14. Because God can supernaturally make up time. When the hand of God comes on you, he causes you, to, he causes you to move forward at warp speed. It is when Elijah is trying to outrun Ahab's chariots and the hand of the Lord comes on him and a man outruns a chariot because when God gets ready to speed things up, it'll blow your mind. I remember I, I, was, I was in my mid-20s, I guess, and I was, there, was, there was an ache. There was an ache in me. I, I wanted to... I wanted to be in ministry. I wanted to preach this gospel. I was working at a ministry, but I didn't want to work at the office. I'm not that kind of guy. I wanted to get up and teach this book. I wanted to feed people this book. And I remember uh, I remember the summer. Out of, it was probably the summer of 06, 07, 08, something like that. And I remember sitting in the basement of our house, and I would weep, and I was gripped. I, my wife would tell you, I was struggling with depression. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was hurting because I, I, I saw no doors opening. As a matter of fact, I saw myself going backward. Why, why is my vision so, so far away? There, I, there's no conceivable way. I see no way out. I see no way to, 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 to obtain what I feel like God's called me to have. And I remember just sitting in my, in my basement where I would study at night and I would just weep. And I would weep and I would weep. And then I, I would be down there studying and I would be down there praying and I would be down there reading this book. And I would be thinking, why am I even doing this? Because I'm never going to get this opportunity. What everybody prophesied over me, they're a bunch of liars. <laughs> you smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. You're a liar. It's an elf reference. <laughs> How do you live with yourself? And I remember I was, I was gripped by it. I was gripped by it. And I thought, there's no way out I'm going to be. I'm going I'm to live and die in this office. Three months. I went from I went from having no opportunities, no opportunities, to three months later, felt like there was a rocket strapped to my back, flying here, driving there, preaching here, being on this TV show. TBN's wanting this, God TV's wanting that, this and that, and open and has never stopped, hasn't stopped since. But oh, how I almost failed the time test. There were, there were times I would sit in that, in that little basement and I would say, I, I, I'm, giving my, I'm giving my life to this book. I'm giving my life to study this book because, God, I thought you told me this is what I was supposed to do, but I'm not getting to do it. So now I have a choice. Either I can just give up and go find a hobby or I can still dig in a little deeper, write another sermon that nobody's ever going to hear, or I can give up. When you're in the time test. You see, what a lot of preachers do these days when they're in the time test, they just start calling you, hey, you need me to come preach? No. <laughs> you know, you will not imagine the emails I get. Hey, God gave me a word for your church. Who are you? Where? I don't even know you. How long have you been preaching? Six minutes. Oh, good. 
because you're waiting on Isaac and getting tripped up over Ishmael. What is it in your life that you want God to do that he ain't done yet? And then you hear some sweaty punk like me get up and just say, wait. You know that thing that causes an ache on the inside of you believing God for breakthrough and nothing's happening? Let me tell you what to do. You And then you're like, well, I've been waiting six months. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> bless your heart. Abraham waited 15 years. You know what you got to do? Wait. You know, your Bible always talks about the arrows of the Lord. He even talks about that children are in the, are in the hands of the parents like arrows in a quiver. And you have, I had to run through that. I had to think about an arrow in the hand of the Lord. And then I thought that's exactly what the time test is. When God puts you in the time test, it's as though he's drawing back an arrow. He has you in his bow and he is drawing you back. So for a season, you feel like you are getting further and further and further away from your target. And we look at it as though we are declining. We look at it as though we are going in another direction. But really what God's doing is he's retracting you. So when he gets ready to let you go, you have the speed and the velocity that you need to hit everything that God called you. What do you do when you're, when you're in this? You have to submit to the hands of the archer. Can I get a witness from somebody? Is there anybody in here that you feel like you're in this right here? God, I thought this would be, I thought this would already be over by now. And I feel like I'm further away from it than I've ever been. <laughs> the time test. Not because God needs you to prove you to himself. God's wanting to prove you to you. Because you will never really know what's in you until you get deeply offended and challenged. Adversity will introduce you to yourself. And God throws you in the middle of a test. And then you see all this stuff come up out of you and you're like, man. And God's saying, if I don't get that out of you now, that'll show up later. And if I exalt you to the place that I've called you to be, and then that shows up, you will devastate multitudes of people. So now I'm going to take you to the secret place, and I'm just going to let you devastate yourself before you devastate anybody else. You hearing what I'm saying? Pass the time test. Then God takes us through another test called the submission test. The submission test is when God tells us to do things we do not want to do. Will not tell us why he wants us to do it. And when, he asks, when we ask him why, he says nothing. Just do it. <laughs> Am I right about it? God puts us through the submission test. He takes us through the time test because he wants to develop patience. He takes us through the submission test because he wants to develop the right attitude. Right? When God throws you in the middle of a situation and makes you obey an order that everything in you kicks against and disagrees with. The submission test. It's one thing to say you're submitted when you love the pastor, your great friends, and everything he says, you say, oh, that's so good. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's my man, God. That's right. Submission doesn't even begin until there's disagreement. It's not until I say A and you say B or God says A and you say B and then you have to make your B die and then embrace his A. Because right? God's going to break. 
God's going to break self-will out of us. God's going to break us being our own God out of us. God's going to make sure that we submit. Now, God Almighty, I wish y'all could help me this morning. He's going to tell you to do things you don't want to do, and then watch how you react. The very first time I ever heard God speak to me, I was 17 years old. I was living at home. And my parents, they were not saved at the time. They told me to do something. And I'd been studying. I'd been reading the Bible. I was about 16 years old, reading the Bible. And there's a little scripture in Philippians that always bothers me. It bothers me to this day. When I, start, when I, get, to the, when I get close to it in my regular Bible reading, I just skip over it. <laughs> Y'all got those verses? You got those verses in your life? Everybody skips over the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit verses because those freak people out. I'm not, I don't even know what that is. Don't want to know. There's a little scripture in Philippians I try to ignore. He says this, do all things without murmuring and grumbling. Oh, God, help. Jesus, where are you? Save me. Do all things without murmuring and grumbling. No. All things. Not the things you like. Not the things you agree with. Not the things that you enjoy. Do all things without murmuring, without disputing. So I was, I was a young man, 16 years old. And my parents asked me to do something. I'm sure it was crazy and unreasonable and irrational. And uh, I remember having the worst attitude. I was like, fine, fine. I got in my car and went and did it. And I was driving down the road. And at this point in my life, I was hungry for God. I wanted to do something great for God. I wanted to shake the world for God. And I remember driving down the road. That scripture came to me. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. And God said, is that how you're going to act when I ask you to do something? When your boss tells you, you don't, to do something you don't want to do, is that how you're going to act when God tells you to do something? Oh, snap. He went there. He went to the workplace. Huh? Sometimes you have to just do it because he said it. Sometimes he doesn't give you the why. Sometimes we're not entitled to it. Sometimes you only get the why after you did it and you see what it produced in you. Right? Sometimes you only figure out the lesson after you pass the test, and then you go, ah, now I see what you were trying to produce on the inside of me. But it only comes by me saying yes. And then when we refuse to say yes, it's fine. God's just going to take us through it again. And I've also learned that if we don't get it at point A, point B is not nearly as pleasant as test A. And test C is not nearly as pleasant as test A. Have you ever had those things in your life where God keeps taking you through the same thing over and over, and then you finally get it? You go, man, if I knew what you were doing, I would have done it way back then. So I never had to do this again. Trust me, I've been at test triple Q. <laughs> it doesn't. So God's going to put you in a, God's, not only is God going to tell you to do things that you don't want to do and then make you submit to that. God's going to put you in a house. And this ain't popular in Knox Hill. That's why I'm preaching it. God's going to put you in a house and make you put, put roots down in a house and get planted in a house and submit to leadership. And leadership's going to tell you to do things that you don't want to do. And then God's still going to see how you react. It's one thing. We, we love to think that we're obeying God's direct authority, but what do we do when we face God's delegated authority inside somebody else? I ain't getting no amens up in the house. Let me try it over here. Because yeah. I was teaching this, the other, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. This is, this is the, the statement that came to me. Well, we don't do that in Knoxville. Well, good, because I'm not from Knoxville. 
And we do do it in the Bible. And I'm not trying to create a church that looks like Knoxville. I'm trying to create a church that looks like the kingdom of God. And inside the kingdom of God, there is order. Inside the kingdom of God, there is authority. Inside the kingdom of God, there is chains of command. And God makes you submit to it. And sometimes God doesn't let you submit to the leaders that you like. Sometimes God makes you submit to the leaders you don't like. David, God's not going to put you up under Moses. David, God's going to put you up under Saul. And it's how you handle Saul that determines whether or not you ever get to the throne that you were called to inherit. But don't tell me you obey God and can't submit to leaders. And I'm not just talking about leaders in the church. I'm talking about when you get pulled over and get that ticket. Let me tell you something. We might not need to record this. I'm going, to, I'm going to create a team that goes secretly at night and disarms those camera things on Kingston Pike. Because I get those a couple of times a week. You owe us $50. I'm just kidding. It's happened about three times, and I promise you every one of them is Lindsay's driving. Like, honey, you got to submit to authority. This is not a submission to authority. Say about submission to authority. God puts you up under a leader. You have this vision. You have this passion. You have this desire. God puts you up under a leader, and you go to the leader and say, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. Look, God spoke to me, and this is what he told me to do. A, and then B, and then C, and then D. And the leader goes, man, that's so awesome. But no, we're not doing that. We're going to do this over here. And then you have to go and give what they said just as much energy as you would give it as if we were doing what you said. I like, I like the kickback. Oh, I like that self-wheel just rolling over and dying. No, submission, no, no, no. Submission to authority, no. And I don't, I don't hammer this. I don't preach on this. But there is a test that God's going to take you through. There's a test. God's going to establish you and set you in a house. Church is not something that you visit casually on a weekend. Church is a house that you get connected to and you put roots down in. That's what church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be our version of a country club. It's not supposed to be our version of a social gathering. It is supposed to be a place where you put down roots and you get fed. You, get a, you become a part of the furniture of that house. Y'all listening to me? Some of y'all, y'all have heard, some of you grew up listening to preaching and teaching like this. And everything in you says, yes, that is right. That is the Bible way. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? It's called the kingdom of God. It's not called the democracy of God. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called God anoints and appoints and selects people, and there is nothing we can do about his selection. It makes no sense. It makes no sense that God picked Saul, other than the fact that God wanted to pick Saul. And then you know what God tells the nation? Submit to him. Because he is my delegated authority. So even if you don't go to church here, wherever you do go to church, God puts you in that house because he wants to test your submission because obeying earthly authority is much easier than obeying his direct authority. Because earthly authority will tell you, go stack chairs. His direct authority will say, go repent to that person when you didn't even do anything wrong. Oh, 
God. Oh, God. No, I'll stack chairs. No, 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 no. I'll stack chairs. I'll stack chairs. I will be the chair stacking CEO. I will be the apostle of chair stacking. God takes you through the submission test because he's going to teach you obedience. I got to go. Can I give you one more real quick? Two seconds. I'll, give you, I'll do this in two seconds. God's going to take you through the time test when God does not do what you thought he was going to do. When he thought he was going to do it. I told you I got 21 of these. It gets worse. God's going to take you through the submission test. Is this helping you? Is this helping you? Heard, uh, y'all know John Bevere? Phenomenal Bible teacher. Most people don't know this. He was Benny Hinn's youth pastor years ago. And uh, he was, led, led a thriving youth ministry, led a thriving youth ministry. He actually wrote a great book on, on, on spiritual authority, things like that. And, and, and spiritual authority has certainly been abused dramatically over the years. I don't have time to get into all that. But he wrote this book. It's called Undercover. And in this book, he tells a story. He was working for Pastor Benny Hinn. Doesn't name Benny Hinn, obviously. I did. Um, and God spoke to him about the youth ministry he was leading. It was exploding already and gave him a strategy. He was going to start breaking up his, his student ministries into small groups, and he was going to organize it this way and do it this way. He said just in a, in a season of prayer, it would divine download from heaven just dropped in his spirit, just, just gripped him. This is God. This is God. Oh, he was, he was burning for it. You ever had God speak to you? God will speak to me at 11 p.m. at night. I can't go to sleep. You ever had God do that? Just like exploding on the inside of you. So he goes to staff meeting the next day, and he tells Pastor Benny about it. He just pitches it out there real quick, just gives it to him. Hey, this is what God said. Boom, 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 boom. Pastor Benny goes, oh, that, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I love it. I love it. That's wonderful. There's a terrible Benny Henry. That's wonderful. He says, go do it. Go do it. So John starts putting everything in order. He starts organizing things. He starts putting things in place. They come back a week later at staff meeting, and out of, out of everybody, Pastor Benny goes, Hey, John, God spoke to me and said, We're not supposed to do that. Now you have a decision. What typical American church does is we leave that meeting, go tell all of our friends how wrong the leader is, also known as gossip. You ever notice that the people that gossip the most have no working definition of gossip, but whatever it is they're doing, it is not gossip? That's not gossip because it's the truth. That's what they say. It's the truth. The truth is it is gossip. The American church, so when we don't get what we want, we have to run and spread it to try to build alliances and try to gain agreement so we can go home at night and really feel like we're right and he's wrong. I am talking the truth. Amen. The kingdom's way is, this is what I feel like God told me, but now I have to take that and submit it to his delegated authority and do it with just as pure of an attitude and heart as I would be doing it if we did it my way. Can we do things God's way with the right spirit just like we would do things our way with the right spirit? Because when we do things our way, we'll go recruit everybody and get them on board. But when we have to do it God's way, we get frustrated and we get bitter and we get angry and we get mad and we pull back and we start acting weird. And everybody starts talking about why are they acting weird? Because you didn't pass the submission test. You hear me? Let me give you one more. 
God's going to take you through the motivation test. The motivation test is when God blesses somebody else with what you feel called to and then watches how you respond. How do you respond when other people get what you want? How do you respond when other people get in a room with leaders and you don't? You know, all through Jesus' ministry, he played favorites. I know, see, I, 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 I love it. I've, everybody's like, quiet. It's awkward. Because this isn't Knoxville, but it is the Bible. You know what Knoxville needs? Not more of Knoxville. They need the Bible. Imagine how Bartholomew felt when Peter, James, and John got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he didn't. Imagine how Thomas felt when Peter, James, and John got to go in Jairus' daughter and he Jairus's daughter's bedroom and he didn't. Can you imagine what it's like when somebody else gets what you want, gets what you're believing for? receives what you've been asking God for, and then God steps back and just watches your reaction. Because he's going to test your motivation. Let me, let me, let me show you this one, one more example, and I'll be done, I promise. Remember the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel? Your Bible says that Samuel's mother, Hannah, could not have children, right? It's not a trick question. Y'all remember that? Y'all like... Hannah couldn't have children, right? Hannah's husband had another wife named Penina. Penina was having children everywhere. Like she attended Hope Unlimited, just kids. And Hannah, your Bible says, she goes before the priest and she pours out her soul before the Lord. And she is gripped by this because she's being provoked by her husband's other wife who is being fruitful and she's not being fruitful. And she's praying and she's asking God and she's praying and she's asking God and she's praying and she's asking God and nothing's happening for her. And her husband tries to chime in and that never works. And he says, why are you so upset, woman? Am I not better to you than ten children? And then finally she goes into the priest's house and she gets before God and she says, God, if you will give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And she bears Samuel, one of the greatest prophets in Israel. As long as she was trying to get a son so she could compete with the other woman, her womb was closed. But when God purified her motivation and she said, this is not about me competing with the other woman anymore. This is about me giving you back everything you've given me and everything you bring through my life. That's when God could give her what she had been believing for because now your motivation is not based upon trying to compete. Now your motivation is based upon trying to further the kingdom of God. God's going to shut up your womb God's going to shut up the womb of your life and your blessing and your ministry. And God's going to shut up the womb of what you've been asking and believing for until he can get you to the place where it's not about, I don't want you to bless me so I can go around and show it off. I want you to bless me so I can further the kingdom of God. Stand up on your feet.
said this to you before, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it to you again. Everybody in this room has purpose down on the inside of them. Everybody in this room, listen, has has ministry down on the inside. You need to be in ministry more than we even need you to be in ministry. You need to be in ministry because God put it in you. I don't mean preaching. I mean ministry. I'm talking about what we did yesterday when we're praying for homeless people and giving little girls that are three years old in a homeless community, giving them dolls and hot dogs and chips and loving on people and telling people, God still loves you and we still love you. I'm talking about ministry. And God is going to get each and every one of us where he wants us to be. There's no doubt about it. He will do it either through revelation or through tribulation. But either way, he's going to get you there. You ever wondered how come one person can get up and sing or how come one person can get up and preach and it's good and we applaud it and, you know, I felt encouraged and then how can another person get up and sing or get up and preach and it hits me in my because one is ministering from a gift that they were given. Another is preaching from an authority because of tests that they've passed. And if you want there to be real power, if we want there to be real power on our life, it doesn't happen because we are slick or cute or sing or preach good. It happens because we say, God, every test you send, we submit to it. And there are some tests in your life where you feel like it's going to kill you. That I can't believe anymore. God will let people talk about you and then will not allow you to defend yourself. And then the lies and the foolishness get blown up and get spread and get ran out of proportion and all this stuff is coming back to you and people are believing things about you and saying things about you and thinking things about you and God speaks to you in private and says don't you say a word because either you can fight it or I can fight it and if you want me to fight it you don't get to say a word and every time you put your hand on it I take my hand off of it you want to fight it or do you want me to find it fight it Kills you on the inside. What is it? It's just a test. I don't know if this happens in everybody's house, but randomly, I don't know if it's our TV provider, randomly we'll be watching a show and the most god-awful noise will come over our TV. This is a test. This is a test. Interrupts our comfortable viewing process. You're in the middle of a test. And that's what I came to do this morning. You got back from vacation and life is good and you still got some of your suntan left. Right? And college football's about to start. Glory be to God. And in the middle of you doing it, and then you're going to have a great week this week and you're going to go to work and you're going to do your thing. You're going to cash your paycheck on Friday and life is good and you're going to go eat lunch today and life is good. And here I am. Hey, you're in the middle of a test. 
What's going on in your life? It's simple. You're in the middle of a test. And after you pass this one, you get to have another one. But every test you pass is a level of authority you gain. Every test you pass is another dimension of anointing that you gain. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.